Well, good morning and welcome home. Good to see all of you today. Thank you, those of you who are watching online. Thanks for joining us today. As you know, Veterans Day was this past week, and we would just like to take a moment and recognize any veterans that we have with us. If you have served or are serving in any of the five branches of the military, would you just stand? Thank you. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your willingness to to fight, and uh, we know... Uh, All of our soldiers have either fought or were willing to, and so we are very grateful for your service. Um, We are actually talking today, and kind of talking about warfare, talking about weapons a little bit. Uh, We are still in this series called Kingdom Eyes. It's the lifelong pursuit of seeing as Jesus sees. In other words, are we viewing life and the world and ourselves and people through God's eyes or through our own flawed, limited human perspective. And last week, Kyle talked to us about how kingdom eyes help us become more spiritually wise to the unseen battles. In other words, there is a battle that takes place around us that we don't see with our, with our eyes, we don't hear with our ears. It's a spiritual battle, but it is real nonetheless. And scripture tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but he is very real. And the weapons that he uses against us are very real. And what I want to talk to you about today is what I believe is Satan's secret weapon. I think he uses this weapon in more ways than we even realize. And we probably don't talk about it enough in the church. And so I want to ask you today to turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And uh, while you're finding that, it's in the Old Testament, kind of back towards the beginning of the Bible. Uh, while you're finding that, when Sarah and I, for our fifth wedding anniversary, we went out to Colorado. We had gone out there to honeymoon, and so we went back for our five-year anniversary. And the plan was to, to go to Colorado and then come down through New Mexico and across West Texas and go to my brother's house in Central Texas before going home. So we were just going to make this one big circle. And so this, was, I'm going to tell you how old I am now. This was in the days... Our little flip phones did not have GPS, okay? I hear flip phones are making a comeback, by the way. But our little flip phones did not have GPS. We had something. Now, hang with me. This is going to blow some of your minds. We had these things called maps, right? Now, it wasn't an app for your phone. It was this giant piece of paper that was all folded up, and you could never get it folded right back the way that it went. And so we pulled out a map and we're, you know, we're looking for the best route from where we were in New Mexico at this time to my brother's house. And there were two routes that we looked at and thought, well, I, I think the, both of these, they look about the same distance, about the same time. I think this would be okay. And one of them went through a town called Brady, Texas. And I told Sarah, let's take this route that goes through Brady, Texas, because we used to have some friends from there and have never been there. And I think it's about the same as this other route. So we took off and we're driving 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 and we're driving. And we finally get through Brady, Texas, and we're still a long way from my brother's house. So I called my dad on my flip phone and I said, well, we just went through Brady. I don't don't know when we're going to get there. And in the background, I hear my brother say, Brady, what are you doing in Brady? How in the world did you go through Brady? What made you think that was a good way to come? He goes full on brother mode, right? We get in at 2.30 in the morning. He had finally said, front door will be open. Come find a spot and crash. 
And so the next day, right, he's just, he's just giving me this heart. What? I'm looking at the map. What made you think? Bra- Apparently going through Brady, Texas to get to his house was the worst plan in the history of navigation. And so today I want us to look at something that is probably the worst plan in the history of warfare. All right. The worst plan in the history of of warfare. Here's the story. In 1 Samuel 14, a man named Saul is king over Israel. And Saul and his men are camped out. They were fighting against a people called the Philistines. And so there was a, a detachment of Philistines that were nearby. And so Saul's son, Jonathan, says to his armor bearer, he says, let's sneak out of camp. We're not going to tell my dad. We're not going to tell anybody. Let's just go do, let's go on a recon mission here with these Philistines that are camped over here. And so they do that. And the two of them sneak off. It's just the two of them. That's an important detail. This isn't like a small detachment of soldiers. It's two guys that go out. They get to the outskirts of the Philistine camp. And Jonathan shares with his armor bearer his harebrained plan that might be the worst plan in the history of warfare. All right? Here's what he says. Verse 8. We will cross over and let them see us. <laughs> if they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. And that'll be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. That is a terrible plan. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Look again at verse 8. Let's cross over and let them see us. Jonathan's plan is, let's let them see us and just see what happens. That's a terrible plan. How many of you are deer hunters? How many of you like to deer hunt? Deer hunters don't like to raise their hand in public. I figured that out first service. Okay, so if you, I know there's some of you sitting out there. How many of you go out to the woods when you deer hunt and jump up and down and scream, hey, deer, come here, I'm here, come get me? You don't do that. It's a terrible plan, and this is a terrible battle plan. And again, this is only two guys. So here's what happens Philistines, uh, they see the two men. And these Philistines yell down from the top of a cliff, by the way, Jonathan and his armor bearer, if they fight, they're going to have to climb up a cliff to even get to him. And the, and the Philistines yell down, hey, dirtbags, why don't you come on up and get some of this smoke? <laughs> Those of you who don't have teenagers in your house, that's another way of saying let's fight, Okay. So, so they, that's the only way that I know what that means. So that's a loose translation of what they say, but that's basically what they say. And that was Jonathan's cue. So they climbed up the cliff and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army and just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Meanwhile, back at Saul's camp, Saul's lookouts saw a strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. They actually won the battle with the worst battle plan in the history of warfare. And you know why? Because Jonathan was looking at this through kingdom eyes. We'll look at a verse later that shows us that. But you see, human eyes say, Play hide and sneak. You see what I did there? Hide and, hide and sneak. Hide and sneak. Wow. 
Hugh and I say, hide, sneak around, don't let anybody see you. Kingdom eyes say, step out into the open and watch God work. And so that's what they did, and God won the battle for them. So with that story in mind, I want to go back to this weapon that I mentioned at the beginning. There is a weapon that I believe is one of Satan's most powerful weapons that he uses against um, people who are not following Christ and people who are following Christ. Now, just to be clear, Jonathan's story doesn't talk about this weapon. This is going to feel like I took you, up, took you through Jonathan's story here, and then we're taking a hard left turn. We're going to get back to Jonathan's story. Because while the weapon that we're talking about today is not found in this story, the way that we, that we fight against this weapon is found in Jonathan's story. So what's the weapon? What's this big secret weapon of Satan's? It's the weapon of shame. It's the weapon of shame. Now before we go any farther, I want to, I want to just give you a heads up today. I just want to tell you straight up from the beginning, I'm not going to pull any kind of bait and switch. We're going to have an altar call at the end of this service for anybody who is dealing with shame or who knows somebody who is dealing with shame. Because here's the thing, if this is not an issue for you, maybe you're not just burdened down with shame right now over something that you've done in the past or something that has happened to you. Maybe you're not burdened down with shame right now, but I guarantee you, you know somebody who is. And I believe there are more people in this room and watching online than probably we would even guess who are carrying a heavy burden of shame over things they've done in their past or things that have happened to them or some kind of condition or circumstance that they didn't have any control over. And Satan has convinced them that it's their fault and they're carrying a weight of shame. And if that's not you, you know somebody who is. So I'm gonna ask you this morning to pray. First of all, that God would show you, is this an issue in your life? Maybe you're, maybe you're kind of blind to it. You know, we all have blind spots. We all have issues in our lives that we don't even see or there. Other people see them, but we don't. And so first of all, pray, God, is this something that I need to give to you and deal with today? If not, would you show me something from this sermon that I can use to help this person I know who I know is dealing with it, right? So that covers all of it. In fact, let's just pray right now. Father, this is a huge topic, I believe, in the church today. And I also believe that you want to set somebody free today, somebody in this room, somebody watching online. So I pray for the presence of your spirit in this place right now. Give us the courage to respond to you and to your word, however you want us to respond. And set somebody free today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's talk about what shame is, right? Dictionary defines it this way. It's the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, etc., done by oneself or another. Disgrace is a synonym for it. Condemnation would be another word for it. Shame, disgrace, condemnation. Um, it, it, it has to do with feeling guilty about something, but it's more than just feeling guilty. You see, guilt, or what we might call conviction, conviction is kind of the church word we use for that. That's where, you know, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and when you do something or say something that you shouldn't, or when you're about to, the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, you better not go down that road. 
And if you already have, you need to go apologize. You need to go make it right. See, but then conviction, it it goes away. The Holy Spirit does not keep convicting you after you've done the right thing, after you've apologized and made it right. That doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. That's Satan speaking words of shame into you. When he convicts you and you, you apologize, you own it, you do what you need to do, you make it right, and it's still gnawing at you, that's not God, that's Satan and his weapon of shame. Because, because guilt and conviction, it comes long enough to do its work and then it goes away. Shame doesn't go away. Shame doesn't go away. Shame sticks with you. Shame continues to remind you over and over and over of what you did or what happened to you. If you've ever heard the words in your mind, what a horrible person you are because you did that back there. That's not God, that's Satan and his weapon of shame. If you've ever heard that little voice in your head saying, don't tell anybody about this, there is nobody who will understand that's not God, that's Satan and his weapon of shame. If you've, ever heard, if you've ever heard in your head, you could never have a relationship with God. You, God could never use you to do this. God could never use you to do anything. That's not from God. That is not conviction from the Holy Spirit. That is Satan and his weapon of shame. They're two different things. Shame and conviction are different things. In fact, guilt or conviction is kind of like the friend who comes over for dinner and then leaves and goes home. Shame is like the annoying pain in the rear relative who moves into your house and doesn't leave. That's shame. Guilt and conviction are actually gifts from God to help you become more like Christ. Shame is a weapon of Satan to keep you from becoming the person God created you to be. They're different. In fact, let me give you one more illustration. Guilt and conviction, those are kind of like the rudder of a ship, right? They they steer. They keep you going in the right direction. You start to get off course. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Assuming you respond to him, then you get back on course and, and you stay going the direction that you need to go. So guilt and conviction are like the rudder. Shame is like the anchor. It gets you stuck. It keeps you from moving anywhere. They are two different things. Conviction comes from God. Shame is a weapon of Satan. And what happens with shame, it always impacts our relationship with God. And it always impacts our relationship with other people. And that goes all the way back to the beginning. If you look back in, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. They, bring, they disobey God. They bring sin into the world for the first time. And uh, it says immediately after they do that, they suddenly felt shame. Say that with me, shame. They felt shame and they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God. They were ashamed, so they hid. So right away, their shame was creating this wedge, this distance between them and God. But as if that weren't enough, God is talking to them about this and Adam replies, it was a woman, 
Not only was it the woman, it was the woman you gave me, God. Her fault and your fault. Immediately, Adam's shame created a distance between him and God and between him and his wife. That's what shame does. That's how Satan uses it. He uses it to put a wedge between us and God and us and the people that we love. When you're heaped with shame, you can't worship God freely. When you're heaped with shame, you don't want to pray. Maybe you don't feel worthy to pray or spend time in his word. When you're you're heaped with shame, you're not honest with the people you love. You hide things from them and you keep secrets from them. And it creates a distance between you and God and you and people. So let's talk about exactly how Satan uses this. How does Satan specifically, how does he use shame as a weapon against us? First of all, sometimes he uses it to prevent people from coming to Christ in the first place. I've heard it dozens of times over the years. I've done too much. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. Pastor, you have no idea the things I've done. And so Satan has heaped shame on them and they, they, they think that they can't, God can't possibly love me. God can't possibly accept me and welcome me into a relationship with him. You don't know what I've done. Well, here's what the Bible says about that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, who? Whoever. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh, unless you've done this, this, or this in your past. No, it doesn't say that. You can go back to the original language and there are no exceptions in Jesus' words here. Whoever believes in him, whoever, say that with me again, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In other words, I don't care what your past is. I don't care how, how bad of, a, of, of sins you've committed or how many sins you've committed. I don't care how horrible your past is. I don't care how horrible your present is. God's grace is enough. It is enough. Don't let Satan convince you of the lie that you have done too much. Do you hear that? Those of you watching online, don't let Satan convince you that you have done too much or gone too far. That is shame. That is Satan's weapon of shame, keeping you from entering into a relationship with God that will not only change your life now, but will even change your eternity. His grace is enough. Believe that. Believe. Choose to believe the truth of this verse. In fact, just insert your name where you see this word, whoever. His grace is for you, and it's enough. So that's for those, who, uh, for those who aren't following Christ right now. What about those who are following Christ? Can Satan still use shame? Oh, you betcha. Because you see, once you become a follower of Christ, Satan can't steal your soul from God, but he can still use shame to stunt your growth in Christ, and he can still use shame to keep you from being effective for God's kingdom and what God wants to do in you and through you. So how does he do that? How does Satan use shame to accomplish those things in the life of a believer? Well, first of all, he uses shame to fool us into a performance-based Christianity. 
In other words, before I came to know Christ, I did A, B, and C, so now I better do X, Y, and Z to make up for that. I better, I better make sure I'm in church every Sunday, and I better read my Bible all the time, and I better tithe, and I better serve, and I better do good things, because I've got to earn enough points now to make up for that stuff that he forgave me of. No. God does not work on a point system. Look at what, look at what Paul says. In Ephesians 2, he says, God saved you by his what? Grace. Grace. When you believed And you can't take credit for this. How many of you have ever had somebody take credit for something good that you did? That stinks, doesn't it? Stop doing that to God. Paul says you can't take any credit for your salvation. None. It is a gift of God's grace. He goes on, he says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, we don't do good things to get saved. We also don't do good things to stay saved. We do good things because we're saved. We do good things as a grateful response to God for his gift of salvation that we had nothing to do with earning. Stop letting Satan convince you that you've now got to earn enough points to make up for the stuff you did before you came to know Christ or even after you came to know Christ. There's no point system. That's Satan and his weapon of shame. Or uh, let me add this one too. Paul says this, how foolish can you be? He's writing to the church. After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Stop. Stop trying to earn points. That is a performance-based gospel, and it is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That is Satan and his weapon of shame. We don't do good things to get or stay saved. We do good things because we're saved. The third way that Satan uses shame, and I want to camp out here for just a minute. He uses shame to ensnare us in what I call the shame cycle. Here's how the shame cycle works. If Satan can tempt us into sin or some kind of unhealthy or destructive behavior, because not everything that's unhealthy is necessarily sinful, but if he can entice us or tempt us into something that is not good for us, whether it's sinful or not, Then he starts whispering shame into our ear. How could you do that? What kind of person does that? Well, nobody likes to feel that way. So in order to escape from that that uncomfortable feeling of shame, or maybe even at that point, it's conviction from the Holy Spirit that Satan twists into shame, and so to sort of self-medicate and have an escape from the shame, we go back to the behavior or to something else. And that allows Satan to whisper shame a little bit louder into our ear, which sends us back to the behavior as an escape from it, which heaps more shame. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see the cycle? And so if you're caught in that cycle 
of shame, unhealthy behavior, shame, unhealthy behavior. If you're caught in that, yes, you have to address the behavior. Let, for example, if porn is the issue there, yeah, you have to address the behavior. You got to get some, you got to get a filter on your devices and some accountability software and set some, some things, some boundaries in place to address the behavior. If it's drinking too much, you got to pour your booze down the drain. You can't address that while still having it in your fridge or your cabinet. You got to do something. If it's using food as a, as sort of a self-medication from shame, you got you to gotta get some habits in place to address the behavior. But if you're only addressing the behavior and not the shame that keeps sending you back to the behavior, you're only addressing half the problem. You got to address the shame too. So how do you do that? That's what we want to know, right? So how do I address the shame and break that cycle? Well, let's go back to Jonathan's story. How did Jonathan fight this battle? Was it hiding? Was it sneaking around? Was it keeping his identity and presence secret? No. It's coming out in the open. Remember? Human eyes say hide. Keep it secret. Keep yourself secret. Stay in the shadows. Kingdom eyes say step out into the open and shed some light on it. You want to know how we, how we defend ourselves against Satan's weapon of shame? We come out of the shadows and we come out into the light and we, we shine a light on it. The scripture tells us this. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and shame us. No, to forgive us and cleanse us. If we confess, if we come out of the shadows, if we shed some light on it, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So we start by bowing to God, saying, God, I have this thing, and I'm owning it right now. I know I can't hide it from you anyway. So I'm putting some light on it right now. And then James tells us, confess your sins, not just to God. He says, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. He draws a direct connection between coming out of the shadows and shedding some light on it and healing. Stop hiding it. Satan wants you to keep it a secret. And again, he will convince you, don't tell anybody because nobody will understand. That is not from God. He will convince you to keep it to yourself and don't tell a soul. Because he knows when you do that, that's when God will begin to bring healing and wholeness and freedom and victory to your life. Shed some light on it. That's our principle 
for today. We defeat Satan's weapon of shame by bringing it into the light. In fact, read that with me. We defeat Satan's weapon of shame by bringing it into the light. Several years ago, two or three years ago, I guess, um, I preached a message right here, and I used an illustration. I don't even remember what the illustration was about, but I, I, I said in this sermon, I referred to Alice Cooper, I think as being the former lead singer of Kiss. How many of you remember that? Yes, thanks, Kyle, for heaping shame on me. Get behind me, Satan. How many of you forgot all about that and now just now remembered when I said something? That's great. That's fantastic. For those of you who don't, aren't music aficionados, um, he has never been the lead singer of KISS, ever. And I knew that. You know, sometimes in the moment, the wires get crossed, and I, and I said this, and some of you who had just now had your hands raised didn't say a word to me. And the dorks that I work with who knew didn't say anything to me. And we still had two more services and the wires stayed crossed. <laughs> and I knew better. And it, I was so embarrassed. You know what the dorks that I work with did say though? They really built me up afterwards. And, you know, texted me and reminded me that, you know, Mick Jagger was the lead singer of the Beatles and Garth Brooks was the lead singer of the Dixie Chicks. You know, yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah, always there for me. I was way more embarrassed by that than I should have been. And the next morning, I get to the office. Pastor Thomas got here at the same time I did and I, just, I was just telling him just how embarrassed I was. So stupid. And you know what he said? He said, dude, just wear it like a shirt. <laughs> dude, just wear it like a shirt. And that's funny, we laugh about that. But let me tell you, that is a freeing, liberating thing to say to somebody. Wear it like a shirt. Stop hiding it. Don't run from it. Wear it. And I went right into my office before I did anything else, and I wrote up a piece, and I, and I just wore it like a shirt, used it to say some funny stuff and convey a spiritual truth, and I threw it out there on Facebook, and the embarrassment just went away, so much so that I'm reminding you of it two years later. <laughs> There's power in wearing it like a shirt. Own it. Confess it. If it's something that you did in your past and you're ashamed of it and Satan is heaping shame on you because of something you did, confess it and own it. Or if it's something that somebody did to you, there are people among us who have been abused and Satan has convinced them that that was their fault and he heaps shame on them Dear God, rebuke him in Jesus' name. He convinces them that it's their fault and he heaps shame on them and they keep it secret and they stay weighed down their entire lives because they have believed this lie that what happened to them was their fault and it wasn't. 
Satan doesn't want, he wants you to stay humiliated about that. He doesn't want you to tell anybody about that. Because again, when you bring light, when you shine light on it, that's when you begin to find healing and wholeness. Maybe it's not something you did and it's not something somebody else did. Maybe it's just a circumstance. For example, there are people who struggle with depression and anxiety and they're, they have this shame, they're ashamed of it because there's this stupid idea out there that if, if you have something like that, then there must be something wrong with your faith. That doesn't come from God. That's Satan and his weapon of shame. And so they hide it and they don't tell anybody about it and they're ashamed of it. They certainly aren't gonna tell anybody in the church about it. God forgive us. Whether it's something we've done or something that's been done to us or just a circumstance. Don't give Satan permission to use his weapon of shame against you. Own it, confess it, wear it like a shirt, however you want to phrase it. Shine some light on it. Start by talking to God about it. And then find someone you trust. Find a brother or sister in Christ who you trust. You don't have to stand up front of the whole church. That's not what confess your sins to each other means. Find one brother or sister in Christ and tell them about it. Tell them about it. And you'll be amazed what taking that, it's not an easy step, but it's a simple step, right? It's one step. You will be amazed at how taking that one step out of the shadows into the light, just like Jonathan and his armor bearer, stepping out of the shadows into the light, you'll be amazed at how taking that one step will begin to open doors of victory and freedom in your life. And here's the other thing. God will not only begin to set you free from that shame, maybe down the road a ways, he'll even start to use that thing that you are so ashamed of. He'll use it to bring victory and freedom to somebody else's life. When I was going through this message, I was thinking about, um, I thought about Steve, our media and tech guy. He sat on this platform about a year ago and shared with us publicly that he had struggled with porn for 20 some years, but God had set him free. And this week I asked him, I, I knew he'd be okay, but I still wanted to ask. I said, Steve, are you okay if I, if I mention that, if I talk about that? And he said, quote, I have zero issue with you talking about my story. Do you know why Steve could say that? Because he wasn't connected to the shame anymore. Because he got to a low point in his life and he realized if I keep this secret any longer, it is going to eat me alive and I've got to shed some light on it. I've got to start talking about it. 
And God used that step. He'd been battling it for 20 years. And once he took that step, God began to not only set him free, but now he's using Steve to bring freedom from the same issue in other people's lives. In fact, his story is out there on our website. Because he chose to bring it into the light. Now, maybe you hear that and say, whoa, you mean it's not enough for me to tell one person? I might have to tell other people about it? Okay, fair enough. Just start with the first step and talk to God about it. And then take the second step and just talk to one person. And then see where God takes you. It is not God's plan for your life for you to spend the rest of your life living under this cloud of shame. That is not God's purpose for you. That is what Satan wants. That is Satan and his weapon of shame. Shed some light on it. So as the band comes, you, I, wanna, I told you I would take you back to a verse in our story. How do we know that Jonathan was on the right track here with this harebrained plan? How do we know that Jonathan was looking at this through kingdom eyes? Back in verse 6, he tells his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. In other words, Jonathan knew that God doesn't need a lot to win a victory. He used two guys and the worst battle plan in the history of warfare to defeat this army of the Philistines. And there are examples of this throughout Scripture cover to cover. God doesn't need much. And to bring you victory and freedom from whatever shame you might have, or to bring victory and freedom to the person you know who is dealing with this, if you're not, God just needs that one. He just needs you to trust him and have just enough faith in him to take that first step out of the shadows. That's all he needs. That one step, that one tiny amount of faith and trust is all he needs. And he, he can begin to do miracles in your life. And he can begin to set you free from that shame. He can begin to set your loved one free from that shame. So I told you we were going to have an altar call. And I want to invite you today. I'm going to give you three possible ways for you to respond today. First of all, if you are dealing with shame, if God is speaking to you right now and he's, he's pointing that out to you, and if you are, then you probably knew it when we first started talking about this. I want to invite you to just take the first step. Come up to an altar and pray to God about it. If you're concerned about social distancing, we've got some gray tape on the floor around there, all six feet apart. Just take the first step and come pray to God about it. Second way, possible way to respond today, maybe you're not dealing with it, but you've got somebody in your mind 
and you know this person is so weighed down with shame, come up and pray for that person. And when you pray, pray, God, what role can I play in helping them come out of the shadows? And then the third possible way I want to give you to respond today, we've got these prodigal boards over here. And for those of you who are new, the names that are written on those two boards are people that we're praying for as a church to come to Christ. I guarantee you there is a large percentage of people whose names are written on these boards who have not come to Christ because Satan has used shame to keep them from doing it. They think God can't possibly love me. God can't possibly want a relationship with me. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. So maybe you'd like to come pray for these names on the board. If you're watching at home, just turn wherever you're at into an altar. God doesn't need these altars. Pray right where you are. When I came to know Christ, I knelt beside my bed. God turned my bed into an altar. He can do that right where you are. Sarah's grandpa was a mechanic. Pastor came and prayed with him, talked with him after a revival while he was working and God turned the fender of a car into an altar and he found Christ. So if you're watching at home right now, just pray right where you are and God will meet you and he will begin to set you free. So however you need to respond today, step out of the shadows. Pray that your loved one will step out of the shadows and watch God work. Would you stand with us? Father, we trust you today. We trust in your love. We trust in your power. I do believe with all of my heart that you want to set somebody free today. Somebody in this room or somebody who's watching online For that one who may be struggling right now, wrestling with whether or not they should come forward, Father, give them the courage to do it. For that one at home who's wrestling with this, maybe there's all kinds of distractions in their house right now. Father, I pray that right now, the distractions would quiet and all they would hear is your voice. Do something, Father, right now that only you can do. Would you set somebody free from Satan's weapon of shame? right now. In Jesus' name, amen.